Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smash Smashpod, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films and Bond-related films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. It's side special time again, and this week we'll be trucking around with little care for our own well-being, while also dealing with low-level work-based disputes. Yes, it's hell drivers. And joining me to do it for Gino, uh, is journalist, writer, and broadcaster Samira Ahmed, who can be found on Twitter as at Samira Ahmed UK, back by popular demand, I might add. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, you made me watch The Skanky Bond, Never I Think did. Never Again. Yeah. But this one I chose yes. because... I think Hell Drivers is one of my favourite films of all time. I was going to say, I loved this film. I'd never seen it before. Hadn't you? Nope. So, for those who haven't seen Hell Drivers, it's one of those films that you'd stumble across in the afternoon if you were at home. Mm -hmm. Black and white. You think it's a B-movie because it... I don't know. I don't even know how we, I should know what a B-movie is. But because it's sort of set in kind of contemporary 50s Britain and nothing's very glamorous about it, you think it's maybe not a really fascinating picture. And then you watch it. Uh-huh. And it's a horror film. Mm-hmm. It's um, a blistering indictment of the gig economy and zero-hours contracts in the 1950s. It's an action and, film. It's an action film. Um, and it's kind of a, a, a war film when the war is over. Yes. Um and in fact, at the very beginning, Stanley Baker turns up wearing what looks like a flying jacket, yeah. as if he's going into an Air Force base to kind of join the RAF. Mm-hmm. But he's going into this squadron of hell drivers. Hell drivers. What's interesting as well is when I looked on the special features on the DVD I had, or whatever it was, one of the things they say, it was they had a behind-the-scenes documentary about the film made from when they were making the film from the late 50s. And one of the things the man says in it, is that all? It's war to war war films at this point because obviously we're recovering from the yeah. war as a world, and a film like this at the time was seen as something unusual, you know, and and probably attractive to people because they probably had enough of seeing films about the war. But it is, it, it's you know it's a film about what it was like working in a completely unregulated, non health and safety way, yeah. um, and I I would say. <laughs> For anyone else thinking about all the wonderful opportunities of Brexit, this is a world without red tape. Absolutely. Um, you know, be careful what you wish for. No shall hard I, hats. No, shall I summarise the plot then? Yeah, shall so, we? So, uh, Stanley Baker has got a mysterious past and he's looking for work. Yes. And he goes into this yard where these drivers drive ballast. I don't even know what that is, but it's gravel. They drive back yeah. and forth from a gravel pit to a building site. Yes. And they have to do a minimum of... 10 runs, no, minimum of 12 runs a day yes. at high speed. And if you go below 50 miles an hour, they won't make enough runs and they'll be sacked. That's right. So it's like speed. 
<laughs> Except rather than blowing up, you'll be you'll be sacked. And from the first frame of this film, even with the opening credits, it's point of view in the cab of one of these vans yeah. driving at high speed. And it's like if you ever go on YouTube to watch that video of this is going to end in a horrible accident. Yes, that's how the film begins. It is genuinely quite horrible. And if you think about, like, I'm a journalist, and people always talk about how dangerous journalism is. Hmm. One of the biggest causes of death for journalists is actually road crashes. Is it? Yeah, and especially in places like Iran, where there is terrible road safety. Yeah. Um, it's those things like, are you in a vehicle with a seatbelt? Because if you're not, you'll, you stand a really good chance of dying. In Iraq, after the war, the biggest cause of death was road accidents, I wow. think. Wow. I always point this out. Um, and so if you're as paranoid about road accidents as I am, this film is so scary. It is. Because drivers, the reason he, he finds his job available is because the previous driver had died or well, had a metal plate in his head metal plate in his head he doesn't say whether he's he's not dead but he's not well leggy leggy yeah which is quite funny every time his name. right why don't we start at the beginning because there will be people who haven't seen this but yeah. the first thing the most important thing is you should go and see this film and I'm sure it'll be on Talking Pictures TV I'm sure it will be also it's made me fall in love with Stanley Baker who yeah. I had a mild admiration for before because of Zulu and I'd seen The Robbery as well years ago. But oh, he yeah, is fantastic in this film. And I think one of the things we should talk about is that this is a film all about the James Bonds who never were. Yes. Yeah, we'll get to that. Well, yeah. It's filmed in VistaVision as well, which is exciting for everybody. Yeah. It's well, proud of that in the Oakland Glamorous Tiles. format. Filmed in VistaVision. And also, the uh, it's photographed by Jeffrey Unsworth, who went on to do Superman. And Superman 2. And yeah. he did, didn't he work in 2001? I don't know. Yeah, no, I looked, I, look, I looked up all the things he did because it oh, was good. amazing. He worked on, hang on, I've got a list here. Right. He'd worked with Pal and Pressburger on Colonel Blimp. Mm -hmm. He'd worked on, um, um, what's that other, A Matter of Life and Death. Yeah, there you go. He did Zardos. Did you know that? <gasps> yes, of course he did. Yeah. And he worked on Cabaret. Well, there you go. There you go. And all these, all these films always photographed very well. I think it's quite funny that the company's called Hawlett. <laughs> but it's spelled in a, in a clever way. Yeah, it's spelled like it's someone's name. As in H-A-W-L-E-T-T-S. But it's Hawlett's, which is funny. So, yeah, Stanley Baker turns up at the gate looking for a job. And his name's Jolie Aitley. But you're supposed to call him Tom. Mysterious. Mysterious. And so he is shown to the office of William Hartnell. Sinister. Sinister. William Hartnell's playing a, 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 a person who's no good in the 50s. Um, so rather than being his, oh, hello, I'm Doctor Who, he's like, all right, mate, you're going to start here. These are the rules. Stick to it, Sonny, or you're fact. Yeah, and the, the maths of it, because they, they tell them how much you get. You get seven shillings a load yeah. um, and four shillings an hour. And you have to, and it's 10 miles each way on this run. And you have to do a minimum of 12 loads. Yes. And... I worked, it was quite a lot of, it seemed like quite a lot of money, but then of course it's everything that they dock and you're all fighting against each other on these narrow roads. Yeah. And um, if you've ever, if you ever had horrible lorry drivers sort of, you know, doing terrible things on roads near you, the idea of this happening nonstop all day. I say, it's hard to explain why this film is so distressing and exciting. Yes. But if you think about Duel, the Spielberg film, all these films about speed, mm -hmm. but the idea of it happening um, just in everyday life on your road. I, yeah. I feel this film speaks to modern Britain. I think it does. And as you say, a world without regulations. Well, this could come back. Yeah, you know what's weird about this thing? Because it's, you know, it's quite a dirty environment, in this horrible little office, all these little, where all the, 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 the drivers come. Yeah. In the 50s, even when you were like really rough, you still tucked your shirt into your jeans and they had big yes. turn-ups. Yeah. It's quite neat. They did. They did dress very nicely. And it has a kind of Bond feel. So when he walks in, isn't the first person he sees Lucy, who's the yeah. office secretary, who's leaning out the window. So he's having a big eye full of her bottom in yes. her jeans. Yes. And she's obviously a bit flirty. She's very, very flirty, isn't she's she? She's Miss Moneypenny-ish. She is, except if Miss Moneypenny was sort of rabid. She was sleeping with one Everybody. of the other James Bonds. Yeah. With <laughs> one of the other agents, sorry. Poor Gino. <laughs> Uh, so yeah we're told that one man has done 18 runs in a day and no one's ever beaten that record but that man is Patrick McGowan right Patrick McGowan so future danger man mm. I realised when I first watched The Prisoner I I was frightened of Patrick McGowan and it's because I've seen Hell Drivers oh really and if you've See, he's, he's a psychopath. He's the foreman. He's mad Irish foreman called Red. Who, called Red, who drives faster than anyone else and has a horrible scar and 
plays dirty. He undertakes on the verge. It's definitely against the highway code. He also has got a shortcut through a very dangerous quarry, which is how he gets all these right. loads done so quickly. Um, but he's he's evil. I've, I mean, he's one of the worst film villains I've ever Can seen. Can I shock you? Go on, shock me. I didn't like him in this at all. You didn't? No. He's overacting a bit. It's a terrible accent. Uh, yeah, it's a, ter- it's a terrible accent. I don't think he's menacing enough. It comes across a bit like I've just come out of drama school and I'm playing a heavy. Oh, I liked it. But every time he gets angry, he does the same thing. He's got a cigarette in his mouth and he goes... The f- you should say the fighting in this is very real. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, no, and the thing is, you know, on The Prisoner, he actually did hit stuntmen. Did he? In fights, yes. He actually oh. hurt people. Right. I think the thing about Patrick McGowan is you can tell he's a really angry person in real life. And oh, while yeah. he may have been hamming it up a bit in this, he's quite scary. Yeah, I, I just felt that this is it's obviously an early role for him. And it feels like he's just come out of drama school and he's playing a heavy. Whereas everyone else feels quite real in this. Do you think? Even Herbert Lom feels quite real in this. Herbert Lom is great. I think this film is like a Rosetta Stone for understanding British cinema because it's got all these future spy actors in it. It's a rank film. So um, it's kind of got, I don't like Herbert Lom who would have been in, you know, those sort of slightly more melodramatic things. Yeah. But it's also anticipating the new British social realism. So this reminded me a lot of this sporting life. And Stanley Baker was supposed to play that Richard Harris role, but Mm. couldn't, I can't remember quite why. Um, And yeah, it's an action film as well. And it's contemporary drama. And I think people think Rank was all, you know, Dirk Bogard and glamour. But Stanley Baker overtook him over the next few years as a more popular I'm not surprised. No, he's fantastic. And of course, and the director is Cy Enfield, who went on to make Zulu with them. Yeah, right, and direct Zulu, and Stanley Baker produced it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it, this trigger, I mean, I've always loved Zulu, but this watching this triggered me watching it again yesterday. It's still a remarkable film. And the other element that makes it Rosetta Stone is hmm. the comedy actors in it. So Alfie Bass and Sid James, yeah. two of the other drivers. Yeah. Sid James is a really good straight actor. Yeah. I think people, I think he's better as a straight actor. Um, apart from Hancock, I would argue that this is, this is one of his best roles. Yeah, I um, agree, I agree. Gordon Jackson's in it. Yeah. Um, and very young Jill Island and of course David McCallum who met on this film yes of course they, they got, got married. married and Sean Connery of course and how did we get this far without mentioning Sean Connery <laughs> which is the reason that it's a smash there is a moment in this uh, film when they're at the dance later and they're all standing in a row just chatting and Sean Connery's there and they're like in a row and he's like head and shoulders above all of them he looks like a Frankenstein's monster compared to them because obviously he's not long done Mr Universe and he just looks enormous and you can see how he became a star because he's clearly Wait, is this just cut from chisel person? I mean, chiselled from stone, yeah. granite being. It's also interesting seeing him play a slightly cowardly, yeah. um, uh, you know, cowardly bully. And the thing is, Patrick McGoon is the leader of this gang and the rest of them, you know, are all slightly frightened of him, but they also do his bidding. Mm. So it's like watching one of those school bullying dramas, but played out by grown men who are behaving like sort of 12-year-old malicious school boys. Well, it's boarding schoolish, isn't it? They're all staying in the same lodgings. And they all turn on the the nice person because he does something not horrible, and it, you know there's lots of things in there like school ties related incidents of people you know men sharing the same space and turning on one another. Yeah. And Lord of the Fly, Lord of the Flies, but with trucks. Yeah. So to become a lorry driver, he has to go on a test drive with Wilfred Lawson, who apparently by this point was becoming a problem with drinking a lot and not remembering his lines very well. So he, he's in this very, sh- in a very, only a few scenes, but he's very good, I thought, the bit where he's in the truck with him. Yeah, well, there were these lines, and it's just the way that, you know, if you ever follow court cases where people get done repeatedly for drink driving and reckless driving and dangerous driving, and they mm. don't care, and it's, when he takes Stanley Baker out, and Stanley Baker says, no, I can't do that, because someone might be coming the other way around that blind corner, yeah. and this guy says, yeah, but they might not. Yeah. That's the attitude he that these drivers positively have. or something, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But Wilfred Lawson later on pops up in the, the film called The Wrong Box, uh, a Brian Forbes comedy film full of people like Peter Cook and Dudley Moore and Sellers. And he plays a butler in it, and his whole job in that is to be really drunk and odd. And I'd imagine it didn't take a lot of acting chops to play it by then. But he's quite funny in this. Um, so as you say, uh, Baker thinks it's going to be a standard driving job, but he quickly finds out that he's going to be breaking the rules every step of the way and the brakes don't work properly on no, the van on his right. test drive it's obviously part of the test isn't it yeah because he uses the handbrake to stop them and near a cow who looks very shocked <laughs> and, you stopped uh, didn't you that's it that was the answer yep yeah. uh, and I have to say at this point I was thinking um, 
again, I was kind of falling in love with Stanley Baker, just of how he is. And I just suddenly thought, you know who he reminds me of now? Ian Glenn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got that same kind of husky sort of presence. Well, it's that thing about being incredibly physical mm. and, you know, kind of a man's man, but actually quite lovely. Yes. Yeah. And he's very sort of untraditional looking and in terms of his looks. He's got a very yeah. weird face, but at the same time, it's quite nice to look at. Yeah. It's untraditional. He's not a conventional... Well, he's definitely not an old sort of rank matinee idol no. looker, is he? No. But he's a man's man. Yeah. He's one of those cases where, you know, the men want to be him, women want to be with him kind of thing. And um, certainly the case for me, I mean, I'd only seen a few of his things, but after watching this, I thought, I want to know more about Stanley Baker. So that's good. Um, so he gets back and um, he has to do a timed run. Uh, so as I said earlier, sort of like speed. And we find out that they go to a building site, they load in the gravel, then they have to shovel it off at the top and then drive back. And then he gets the job. Yeah. William but, Hartnell gives him his card. But you realise the whole film is essentially like that game of chicken they play in Rubble Without a Cause. But imagine if that was your life all yes. day, every day, Absolutely. facing near death. Or also, footloose. Footloose, yeah, it's like footloose. <laughs> There's one element of me, which I know I shouldn't have thought about, but you did think, did the local council not notice that all these drivers from the same thing with the they big name being paid on off. the side? Yeah, they probably were. Yeah. The thing is, though, I keep thinking about the driving sequences in this. I mean, now, looking at it through modern eyes, you can see that it's sped up. You know. Some of it, not all Some of it. Some of it, yeah, but at the time, it must have looked sensational. I can't think of another film around this time that had driving like this and camera cameras literally mounted to the front of a truck yeah. that's going along at a fair whack so at the time going to the cinema to see this must have been mind-blowing yeah no i totally agree it's it one of the like reasons star it holds wars it's better than, well i guess yeah. it's better than star wars it's different oh i've got a thought about the yeah. office so, yeah so the, you know the little the little office where the secretary sits and they do their cards and everything i was just yeah. thinking god the loose must be atrocious <laughs> in that place and Lucy who's the only woman who works there who yeah. always looks like she holds her own just thinks she has some special arrangement she can't possibly use the same Lou as she, she must have her own toilet she surely. must have a private toilet she keeps locked you'd hope so wouldn't you yeah no, but right. I, I was watching this whole film thinking oh god only knows what the Lou looks like let's not talk about okay, it okay let's not yeah that's a horrible it's even more thought. frightening than Patrick McGoon I hadn't even thought of that so that's horrible it's the kind of thing I think about a lot <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we, he tells Lucy at this point that his name's Joe but everyone calls him Tom which again is mystery, and he's told that everybody stays at these these lot these digs down the road. So he goes there, and um, she shows him round. The landlady shows him round, and she says, "That's the bath." Points to the bathroom, and then she points to the toilet and says, "That's the other place. No scribbling. Mm. So don't write on the walls." So she's obviously got some class. She has. Yeah, and then we meet the assemb uh, assembled cast. We mentioned. Her, so I should say her daughter is played by Jill Ireland. Yes. She's so beautiful. She is. She must have been very young at this point. Yeah. She didn't live very long, did she? She died of cancer in the early 70s. Yeah. Was it? Was was she involved with Charles Bronson? She was well? his wife, yeah. yeah. That was the 80s then, wasn't it? Because they did loads of films in the 80s for Canon. Yeah, I think she died by the early 80s. But didn't she leave mm. David McCallum for Charles Bronson? She did. We have to talk about David McCallum later in this. We do. I'll tell you my David McCallum story. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. You, I was, was going to say, you've probably interviewed lots of people. I have interviewed yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we meet the ensemble, as we say, Gordon Jackson as well, playing Scotty. Yeah. And I'd imagine most of his parts from the 50s to the 70s were Scotty or Jock. Yes, he was. Uh, only think, called that. The thing about Gordon Jackson is because you think he's so lovable, but in this, he's actually one of the gang that goes along with it all. Yeah. And I find this particularly disturbing because I never told anyone this, but Gordon Jackson looks just like my father-in-law mm. and I really like Gordon Jackson and I really love my father-in-law and so I find it quite sad that he would be involved in Patrick McGoon's mean gang of bullying drivers to be fair if you were to rank them in meanness he's probably one of the least mean ones he doesn't yeah. do anything horrible to anybody he just laughs yeah but he goes along with it they're the ones that it's peer pressure though isn't it again Lord of the Flies survival of the fittest but they, just imagine a bunch of like men who look about 40 they're probably only about 30 but they look about 40 or 50 and they're all brawling and rowing like schoolboys. it's yeah. You know what this is a film about? This is very what? topical. Go it's on. a film about toxic masculinity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, these are all incels. <laughs> well, they're not... Well, actually, some of them are. Some of them are. Yeah. I mean, surely that tubby guy can't have had any joy with the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Gordon Jackson, interestingly, looks exactly the same as he does 30 years later. <laughs> he looked, He doesn't look like he aged he, at all. He, I think he must have been born looking like that. I think so. I think he literally <laughs> came out looking like the guy from The Professionals. <laughs> And then gradually sort of levelled out and went the same again. Um, but we meet then um, 
Herbert Long, as we mentioned earlier, he comes into the room to pray while Tom's having a lie down. Yeah, and he's the sort of, he's the mysterious Italian. He was a prisoner of war, yeah. came back after the war, yeah. and sort of becomes Stanley Baker's friend. He's kind of his moral He's the heart of the film, isn't Guide, he? yeah. And he does an Italian accent in this by just saying, ah, at the end of everything. So he says, my name Gino, huh? I <laughs> well, make you dinner, huh? We go to the bar, huh? <laughs> does that. But his name isn't even Gino. It's just they all call him Gino, oh, yeah. and he goes along with it because, you know, what are you going to do? You're the only Italian. He's a nice man, though. He's a lovely man. Yeah. And he's in love with Lucy, who he says is his girlfriend. But his girl. But there's a love triangle, isn't there? Yeah, there is. In this office with the dirty toilets. It's funny, in the, in the late 50s, because I listened to a lot of Hancock growing up. Yeah. In the late 50s, you get the, uh, you get the bleeding from the American culture in, you know, influences of the war. So you got, like, uh, milk bars and all this sort of thing. And people say things like, she's my girl. Yes, they do. Just like Americans did in that in that time period. Well, it reminded me, I was thinking this is like um, that triumvirate of films, you know, Expresso Bongo. Yeah. And also Beat Girl, where, you know, they're sort of delinquent people hanging around, as you say, milk bars or cafes. Mm. And they're rowing with each other over girlfriends and they're, they're causing brawls at dances. And there's that bit in The Rebel where he goes to go and get a cup of tea and the cafe's all cappuccinos <laughs> and everything and he's confused and that's just what was happening at the time. It's quite funny to think that even back then all that was going on. Yeah, and they're all dressed like beatniks, aren't they, where they're rolled up um, jeans. Yeah, and, and check shirts. shirts. Yeah. Or, you know who's missing from this film should be in this film? Who? Oliver Reed. Oh. Because isn't Beat Girl the same year? He'd or the year be after? much better as McGowan's part. Much better. Oh, yeah. He'd be terrifying. But he's too young. Yeah, but he'd still, he still looked terrifying yeah. at that point. Because he's in... Um, Oh, yeah, he might have been too young. Because he, he cameos in a film later on, doesn't he, playing a, a homosexual. I can't remember what film it is. Yes. He literally walks in and goes, oh, sorry, love, wrong room, and walks out again. It Damn must have been around this time. I know time. what film that is, and I'm going to remember afterwards. Wasn't afterwards. it The League of Gentlemen? Yes, yes. you're right, The League of Gentlemen. Uh, which was probably just a few years after this. But he's one of the gang in Beat Girl. Yes, he is. But he'd be much better in the McGowan part. He'd be much better as Red. Well, you know, we're going to officially disagree on this, because I think yeah. Patrick McGowan is great in this. It's a fine, it's a fine, we can agree to disagree. Okay. Well, I still like him in this, I just would have preferred it if it was someone more scary. But hey-ho. Um, so they go to the dinner place over the road, which is called the Pull-In. And, and on the wall in Do there... Do you think that's a pun? I think it is. I think this Horlitz is a pun as well. It's full of them. <laughs> but there's a poster on the wall for the crazy gang, which yes. I enjoyed. Yeah. And uh, Patrick McGowan uh, walks in. Well, basically, they play a trick on Tom. They say to him, you should sit at the head of the table because you're the new guy. But what he doesn't know is that's Red's seat. Because he hasn't met Red yet. He hasn't met Red. Red is a mysterious man that he hasn't met. And Red comes in, and the, the the owner of the cafe is like, Red, I don't want any trouble. And he kicks out Tom's chair from under him. Quite a brutal kick out. And Tom leaps up immediately to fight, but then he remembers, which we find out later that the reason he's a mysterious man is because he's been to prison. For an armed robbery. For an armed robbery. And he doesn't want any trouble, because if the police come, obviously, he goes straight back to prison. So there's a few times in this he could have probably done damage to people, but he resists. You know how you can tell that Red is is a, is a the bad character of the film when he walks in even before someone says no trouble yeah he pops the beer with his did you pop it with his teeth yes he does and he burps out loud i think in 1950s britain that is pretty much as punk isn't it (laughs) teddy boy so it's a teddy boy thing (laughs) yeah and he's also got that giant sort of leather thing jacket that bin men used to wear in the old days yeah like a giant waistcoat i think they all look like they are um they would have been or should have been RAF officers, but they were all they were all on the dark side. Mm. You know? So instead of having the discipline of the military, yes, they're all out of control. The Sith. Yeah. Yeah, the, the military Sith. Um, so Tom leaps up, as I say, and he's, he would fight him, but he doesn't. And we find out that uh, Red is the one who's on the eighteen runs, and also for those eighteen runs, somehow he has got this gold cigarette case, which is worth a lot of money. And anyone who beats those 18 runs can have them. A few people have got close. The old man, what they call him the prof? Yeah, Professor? Yeah. Something like that. He's ill-defined. Uh, but he's done 17, I believe. So he's come the closest. Pop. Pop. There you go. Sorry, not prof. He's come the closest, but no one else has got near. But Tom's immediately, his eyes light up and thinks, oh, I'm going to beat him. And he tries. Um, oh, he keeps a little tally in his cab where he writes he does. I like red. That bit. And he does the kind of little tally off. And then he writes self, yep. which I thought was quite 
it's quite existential to describe yourself as self as opposed to me. Might have been Will self. <laughs> I, I doubt it though. You, you could have said id. Or me. Ego. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or not even put the name because he knows that he must be the other person. Yeah. If one of them is red, then the other tally would be himself. Tom might be his Tyler Durden. <laughs> might have a fight club thing going on here. <laughs> I love the idea of a Fight Club version of Hell Drivers. It would work. Brilliant. This is a strange film now, I should say, just to pause for a moment. If you had to describe this film to somebody, I mean, in the 50s, this was high stakes. But if you had to describe it to somebody now, yeah. it's essentially about a work-based... You know, these drivers are being ripped off, which we find out later. It doesn't feel like the stakes are very high, does it? But when you watch it, it feels like the stakes are very high no, all the no, way no, through. No, 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 I disagree. Only think of some of the big undercover journalism that uncovers people in terrifying workplace conditions where people are dying. Hmm. You think about that f- apple factory where, where people are jumping out the window and killing themselves. Yeah. I think this is that equivalent. Yes. And um, the, the John Krause, the people who wrote the short story it was based on, they'd researched it, you know, the oh, okay. sense of a of a of no rules, no health and safety culture Britain where, hmm. you know, vulnerable workers Hmm. Like refugees now, arguably, uh, con- even, I mean, ex-convicts are classic for being ripped off, aren't they? Yeah, um, and, and the winkle ma- pickers from yeah. the beach. Well, more convey, I think that's, yeah. the, that's the comparison that I think film historians have made with this. Yeah. That you're, you know, this is this is the black economy in Britain and this is how it's operating and it's killing people. Yeah, well, I, I stand corrected. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, but Red takes a shortcut through the quarry, we find out, uh, through Tom spying on him, essentially. And Tom breaks down. And uh, Gino tells him that some men in a car were looking for him. They came to the cafe, huh? They were looking for you, huh? But we don't know who they are at this point. I think we find out later, don't we? Yes. I'm he tells his brother about them. Yeah. Um, so they all take. Uh, we find out that some people tried to take the shortcut and it was too dangerous. And I think Leggy came to his grisly end. He didn't die, but his crippled end or whatever in that quarry, trying to take the shortcut. And only Red is crazy enough to do it. And skilled. He's and skilled. skilled. He's obviously a skilled yeah. getaway driver, isn't he, or something? That's right. And then Lucy arrives to go on a date with Gino to the movies. I think it's to the movies? Or yeah. to go on a date with him. And uh, she basically says to Tom, I love you, even though I've just met you. <laughs> and Tom says, you know, I, Gino's a nice guy. I would never do that to him. Y- yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Gino tells him, the next day I'm going to help you out. Well, initially he's quite reluctant and he says, all right, I'll help you out. And what he does the next day is he blocks Red and everybody else from getting out of the depot so Tom can get a head start. But Red, because we've seen what Red does before, actually, is that Red reverses into people to get them out of the way so he can get his gravel. Yeah. And no one ever resists him. So Tom gets there first. Red comes in, reverses him out of the way and starts getting his gravel. Tom goes back round and then reverses Red out of the way and gets his gravel. Red doesn't like that at all. And then uh, he's on the way back. He's, he's basically matching red, run for run. I think they're on about 16 each yeah. or something. And then we see that Gino's been forced off the road and crashed, obviously by red. So Tom stops to help him, and that makes him lose. So it's very sad. It is. 
Um, so they all go to a dance. Uh, Tom takes um, Jill Island, who's quite sweet on him, because he would never do anything horrible to Gino. And then Lucy arrives and demands to dance with Tom. Yeah. And again, proclaims her love for him. It's it's interesting because they've tried to stick in elements of everything, haven't they? So you've got this sort of romance plot set up with this sort of... Um, the wild woman of the office who they all sort of adore Hmm. um, and who's kind of set herself on Tom and then there's the nice girl now if this was a modern film you know that Stanley Baker would end up with Jill Ireland because she's the good girl or they would swap it that then Gino falls in love with Jill Ireland and Tom goes off with Lucy yes and it would be morally acceptable exactly because the circle's been squared this is Peggy Cummins who was in Gun Crazy of course yes She's quite old at this point she, as well. Yeah, is she that old or does she just look old? No, I, I, she died a few years ago in her 90s. So at this point, she's probably in her late 30s, which for yeah. it wouldn't happen now, would it? You wouldn't get the love interest in her late 30s. Yeah, so film. older than him. Yeah. And and clearly supposed to be very experienced. Yes. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> I think she's, uh, I think I'm supposed to believe that she's she's can hold her own. Yeah. She's not exactly a... a that's the problem with films at the end of this age. You can you can write a strong woman, but at some point they have to not be strong and be completely weak and damsel in distress. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, a fight breaks out because Sid James uh, tr- does a very horrible thing to a man and sends him off to sends another pub. the pub pub. looking for his dad so that he can dance with his girl. That's right. Um, I, I think this is actually the best bit of the whole film yeah. because it's when it's an, it's the village and you know all the normal people and they see the drivers come in yeah and that sense of oh god they're here yeah and you know there's going to be trouble and again they get told to behave themselves don't they yeah we don't like your kind also did you know Sir james dresses up in a scarf and balloons as fake boobs for a little pseudo carry-on gag i didn't quite see he why does. you would do that he was pretending to be a girl so he could cut in on that man's dance he said can i have a dance please <laughs> And then as he gets the girl, he, t- he t- whips it all off and then does his oh, laugh. Oh, it's Sid James underneath. He does his laugh a lot in this film as well, which is quite funny. <laughs> which is nice. Um, but basically, a huge fight starts. And at this point, I think Patrick McGowan's mildly warning to Tom because he gives him a, a dressing down earlier and says, I'm the foreman and you, you better do what you're told. And then Tom says something like, I won't make trouble unless someone makes me make trouble. And then Tom's, and then Red says something like, "Oh, okay, I like you now," or something. Yeah, but and then when the fight breaks out, yeah, Tom scarpers. Tom thinks I'm not getting involved in this. I'm not yeah. going to cause trouble. And they call him a yellow belly, and they're yep. angry that he didn't join in trashing the building and fighting everyone else. Yep. And then he goes back to his lodgings, and he gets a stone through the window. Oh, and Gino had to go for a lie down, didn't he? Because he wasn't very well after his crash. That's why he wasn't at the dance. And uh, they tried to storm into his room. I mean, Lord knows what they've done if they'd have got in. Um, but he manages to barricade his door and then the landlady tells them all to go to bed. And they say that they're going to get him the next day. They're scared of the landlady. I think with some things in the 1950s you didn't mess with, you did not mess with your landlady, even if you were an evil, psychotic foreman like Patrick McGoohan. I'd imagine she, she administers some rolling pin beatings. She wears a steel corset. She does, doesn't she? Yeah. That's the first time you meet her, actually. She's telling off Jill Island for having uh, no any, no strength to do up her corset. She gets she gets Stanley Baker to do up her corset. And he does a good job. He does a good job. Pull harder. He does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the next day, Tom goes to work and everybody's waiting for him. Is that the next day? Or is that the next thing? Does he, doesn't he go to see his brother the next day? You're right. No. No, did no, I? No, maybe no, I didn't no, make you're right. He does go to see his brother, yes. Yeah. He goes to the sweet shop to see David McCallum. Right. And this is an amazing scene. This is the very young David McCallum who would have yeah. been, I suppose, in his early 20s. Yeah, he looks tiny. He's tiny. He hasn't had his teeth done yet. No. And he's on crutches. And yes. he clearly was crippled as a result of this heist gone wrong. Whatever happened. Whatever happened. We never, never made clear. I love it. You never quite find out what happened. But mm. the implication is that Stanley Baker was responsible for his brother being crippled, went to jail, has come out. And crucially... His mother, their mother wants nothing to do with Absolutely him. Absolutely nothing. She's dead. He's dead to her, yeah. essentially. He even tries to give David McCallum money and his mother makes him give it back. But you're going to talk about David McCallum. Yeah, well, there's two things. Because one is he made another amazing film with Stanley Baker, which is Violent Playground. Have you seen it? I haven't seen that. Right. So I think it came out the year after. It's another amazing film. Wow. And Stanley Baker is a detective um, who's... What, looking after these two young kids who are getting into trouble they're sort of showing signs of becoming, becoming delinquent they're about 
eight. They're really young for 1950 standards. Hmm. And so he follows them home to the, and they live in one of these big new post-war estates, which he realizes is becoming this incubator of crime. And their elder brother is David McCallum, who's this hoodlum who ends up taking people hostage and, you know, is kind of this out of control psychopath. So it's a film about the emergence of juvenile delinquent crime as a social phenomenon in inner cities. And it was all shot on location in Liverpool. It's also interesting for having quite interesting multicultural casting. So um, David McCallum leads this gang and they harass this young sort of um, British Chinese boy and his sister. And I'm pretty sure the young Chinese, British Chinese actor turns up and you only live twice as one of those very well-spoken henchmen in the control room of um, Blofeld. It wow. could be because, and I apologise in advance if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. and I have, I thought he looks similar to another British Chinese actor, but um, it's worth checking out. Wow. Um, so one, David McCallum is a fascinating actor, but secondly, as a result of being fascinated by David McCallum's career, he of course went on to be um, <coughs> Ilya Kuryakin, so another spy connection yeah. in this whole film. Um, he wrote a novel a couple of years ago, and he's about 80 mm. now. And uh, Mark Miller said, oh, you should interview David McCallum. He's got really interesting politics. And I didn't know that he's incredibly right-wing. Is he? Yes. And and I was reading the novel ahead of interviewing him, and there's this rape scene in it where this female detective gets raped and ends up quite liking it. And I brought this up in the interview. Uh-huh. And David McCallum basically said, you can hear it because it went out on front row, basically said... Well, women do, or some women do. I know this. I didn't know if he quite said I know it because, like, it didn't play that. But it just said, you know, you know, I know women, and actually, they do. And of course, it was quite a moment, shall we say? Christ, alive. yeah, it did. It did slightly. I'm glad he got shot in The Great Escape. Now, <laughs> it, it was quite a shock. Let's put it that way, because I loved the Man from Uncle. Well, he seems like such a nice, pure person. Many yeah. of you see him, but well, he's got his, in films, he, I mean. his political views separate to that are was what I think I knew. I didn't know that he had this view about rape. Um, it was more that, you know, he's, I think it's first he's got quite libertarian views on, you mm. know, um, sort of making your own money and, um, yeah, I'm not going to say any more about his politics. No, but no. but he, he's he's a terrific actor in those two films and I, mm. I would go and see them, get them out. I will, I will. I'm going to yeah. go on a bit of a Stanley Baker journey now, actually. Yeah. So that's good. That's good recommendation. So they had an interesting partnership. But there's a yeah. question. There's one scene in Violent Programme, which is why you have to see it, yeah. which is when Sally Baker kind of confronts David McCallum at this party where they're all, they're all dancing like beatnik kids. Uh-huh. And um, and they say, and they turn the music up and they go, dance. And he goes, um, what is he, something like, I won't run and I won't dance. <laughs> you know, I haven't quite got it right. But it's just such a great moment, this showdown. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so going back, the mum doesn't like. Tom went to jail for a year, um, which is horrible. And she doesn't, and she doesn't want to talk to him at all. So he goes back to work, and the next day, everybody is waiting for Tom, and they tied, they tied like a giant metal table to the back of his truck. Yeah, so he to slow him down when he's first out, when he thinks he's going to be first out the the run. So when he drives out. He can't drive out, and everybody go, go, starts laughing and drives out. Is after. it like the Angry Silence? You know that David Attenborough, not David, sorry, Richard Attenborough film about you know the way they all turn against one of the workers. Yes, it's kind of got that feel to it. At this yeah. point, they've all turned against him, and they're they're, they're colluding in seeing him destroyed. Mm. And he's got to work out what am I going to do here? Am I going to risk death if I try to stay on? But he obviously wants to win. It's a battle of wills with Absolutely. Patrick McGoon. Yeah, he, he he'll 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 top Patrick McGoon any way he can. I don't think he's particularly bothered that no one likes him either, because as he says to David McCallum, the money's good. Yeah. But he's if he if he if he beats that um, record, he'll get a big bonus, won't he? And there's the row over the pay deductions. Is that after this? That's after this. Yeah. 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 Uh, because um, Tom gets to eighteen, because you get a little montage of Lucy typing up their numbers, That's and true. he's pretty much lasts for a few days, and then one day he hands in the sheet, she types it up, and it says eighteen. And everybody's well. She, he's, she's really impressed. He's impressed. And then Gino <clears throat> comes up with the idea. I know how you can definitely win because everyone's picking on you. Tomorrow we'll swap plates because they've got number plates on the front, which is hugely relevant. So all their trucks have numbers. And yeah, Red's number one. Yeah. And Tom's number thirteen, which is the unlucky truck. But Gino's number three. So Gino says tomorrow we'll swap plates. But then um, Tom has been deducted twenty-four pounds, and Red did it because Red's the foreman. And it's for some spurious reason, isn't it? Some complete bu- sort of horrible bureaucracy reason. And uh, Tom calls him scum. Yes, he does. I wrote that down in capital mm. letters. Yeah. And Sean Connery stands by and eggs them on yeah. to fight. Like well, the coward that he is in this Someone film. trips Tom over as well, don't they? I think it might yeah. be Gordon Jackson, actually. 
See, it makes me sad. It does. <laughs> and it's a terrific fight. It is a really good fight. People say it's one of the first really realistic fights in, in British cinema. Mm. Um, they really at each other and they kind of te- tear each other. Does he try and tear his face? I think he does, yeah. Well, he throws um, him against the grill and then he's trying to tear his cheek. Yeah, Patrick, Mer- Patrick McGowan, McGowan is very uh, tactile. He's trying to grab everything on his face and squish it. But they yeah. also end up sort of on top of each other, don't they? They do. Face to face. It's always interesting, those kinds of fights. But Tom wins because he basically just thumps him in the face about four times in a row and subdues him. And everybody's a bit put out. Everyone's a bit shocked by this. But just at that moment, Robin Bailey comes in. Who is the sort of posh super manager who somehow... See, again, I think this is very analogous to yeah. modern Britain where the boss class somehow n- never knew nope. that all this was going on. And I find it outrageous that mm-hmm. there's been violence and fighting and not caring how or why. I love Robin Bailey. He was in a uh, sitcom in the late 70s called I Didn't Know You Cared. Have you ever seen that? No. Nope. Oh, it's brilliant. What did he play? He was a, a character called Uncle... It was Uncle Mort, I think. Uh, but it's basically like a, a working-class northern comedy. Uh, it's got the guy who used to run the cafe in um, Last of the Summer Wine when it first started in it as well. It's uh, Stephen Rea as a Yorkshireman. It's just a very, very quaint, strange comedy, but Robin Bailey's in it as this uncle, and he's got like a little, um, it's very sort of misogynistic, really. And Liz Smith's the matriarch in it, and uh, Robin Bailey and the dad from, the dad character, they go to a, like a little allotment and just sit in there and set the world to rights. But it was nice seeing him playing a posh thing. And he's, yeah. in, he's in KYTV as well. Did you, have you ever seen KYTV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did like a, a piss take of Charles Dickens called Martin Chuzzlewit or something. <laughs> And he's in it as the... Is it Martin Chuzzlewit an actual Charles Dickens book? Oh, maybe it was... Yeah, I can't remember what it's called now. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, I went off on a tangent. Um, but yeah. Red said he knows that Tom's been inside prison. And everybody's a bit shocked by that revelation. So Tom kisses Lucy at this point. Because she's basically... She comes to him while he's fixing his truck. And says that... Um, She's told Gino, because Gino at this point has flashed an engagement ringer, hasn't he? I know. He's quite deluded. He's very deluded, bless him. And she's <clears throat> she's told him it's not going to happen, Gino, basically. So he's very upset. And uh, she she basically comes to Tom and says, look, me and Gino aren't a thing anymore. Would you like to have sex under your truck? <laughs> so I was going to say, it was definitely more than a kiss. Oh, definitely, yeah, because the, the light goes out, which is the international sign of we're about to have intercourse. <laughs> um, so they, they have it off. And then Gino happens to look out of his window because he hears Lucy's Jeep because she drives a jeep and uh, then she sees Tom getting out of her jeep and he knows the jig's up it's not going to happen so then the next thing Tom goes to the train station and buys a one way ticket to London and uh, Lucy comes and finds him and says that Gino's truck's crashed and he's been very badly burned and um, so Lucy confesses to Tom that the drivers aren't being paid properly as well at this point yeah she saved this information till now yeah well she's very upset she feels guilty about Gino, I guess. Yeah. Gino yeah, is dying, huh? <laughs> Not long for this world, eh? Uh, but yeah, the Gino, we're told that Gino's going to have his last rights. He's not well. But isn't the other thing about the, um, the the big scandal is that they there was enough money coming in, being paid to the company to pay yeah. for five extra drivers. That's so right. they withheld that money and the, Patrick McGowan and the William, William Hartnell, Hartnell divide it among them and then they have fewer drivers having to do more work. That's right. And have this spurious record thing to make them work harder. Yeah. Terrible. Um, but it's a Gino's, gig economy. Yeah, it's horrible. And Gino's dying, and he says that uh, he's really happy that Tom and Lucy have got together. Yeah, luckily, which is nice of him. Luckily, um, one side of his face and his whole mouth and one eye is completely unburned, so he can talk normally, and you yeah. can tell it's definitely Herbert Long. It'd be much better if he was like, "I am so sad <laughs> that you two kissed. <laughs> I hope you die." <laughs> no, he gives them his blessing. And um, he says that you should be happy together, huh? And go to Italy one day. Promise me. Promise me, Tom. <laughs> and then um, we, Gino says, I did change the plates. So I was driving the number 13 truck as far as anybody knew. So it's red that pushed me off the road and caused me to crash and burn. Um, so Tom's really cross at this point, And this is when you're really behind Stanley Baker because he looks so angry. It's like the bit in Superman where he finds Lois Lane dead and he flies up to the sky really cross. Yes. Uh, So Gino does die. And then Tom goes to William Hartnell's office and he says, I know all about the money. And he threatens Hartnell with jail. And then Hartnell says, well, if I go to jail, you go to jail. Tom says, I've been to jail. You haven't. I can do another, you know, time in jail. And uh, basically William Hartnell gives into his demands to have the number one truck, 
So he takes McGuin's truck. Yeah, and what does McGuin say? What are you doing with number one? I am number one. That's right. Also, he, he uh, wants to have all the money. So they're going to do that. And then Tom jumps in the number one truck and drives off. So Red jumps in number three and says to Hartnell, you're coming with me. I need a witness. Because he's basically going to, his plan is to now run Tom off the road as well. Yeah. So what they do is they wait f- by the entrance to the quarry and Hartnell starts having second thoughts and saying, I don't want to be involved in this. And that's when Red really turns evil, doesn't he? Starts shouting at him. So Lucy comes in and then she finds out what's happened. She jumps in her Jeep and drives off to find them. And then Red sees Tom driving to the quarry and then chases him. And then this is when a lot of films from this period do this. They wind up very quickly. Yeah. But as you'd say also the description, it's hard to explain, but the chase sequences are exciting. They are. They genuinely are. They don't... um, You get a sense of real danger. Yeah. And he does try and drive him off this narrow road, which is like the top of the South Downs Way or something, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like it. Also, uh, going back to the the fact that the driving looks scary, no seatbelts, right? When you go to the building site every time, everyone's wandering around with no hard hats on. And if you had any kind of prang in any of these trucks, these trucks look like death machines. If you had any kind of prang, you would die instantly. Or like poor Gino, eh? Well, if you see all the ordinary cars that they're overtaking on the road. Yeah. Little Morris Miners. Exactly. I mean, God, I'm out. I'm, I, I don't want to even think about it, how many people must have died in car crashes during this period. Do you know, people forget, but the, the numbers of people who died in car crashes, I'm pretty sure it was in like the high thousands, if not Jesus the tens God. of thousands, um, right from the invention of the motor car. And, to, and it's gradually come down because of better, well, it's really done, done for drivers and yeah. passengers in cars. I don't think for pedestrians it's come down that much. But yeah. They just crumpled like these paper. trucks just look terrifying. And when you, when you, I, mean, I know they're simulating it for a film, but when they turn corners, the seats are going up and down. And Christ alive, imagine it is scary. I can't yeah. tell you. Uh, so red, uh, what's happened is that red has taken the number thirteen, and he's chasing uh, Tom. But he in the hasn't quarry. realised, has he? He nope. thinks it's the number three, and he then he's he, three. Yeah, and he realises when he pumps the brakes, and the brakes have been. Cut. It must have been cut by one of the other guys, mm. yeah. Because one of them was messing around in there, wasn't he, when Tom... Alfie Bass. Exactly. Um, so, uh, they plummet to their death in quite a horrific scene for 1957. Yeah, and you actually see a, a very realistic body j- fall out the car and t- yeah. tumble. And it's a dummy, which you may think is funny, but when you see it, it looks like a genuine person like a genuine person. Probably they reused the, the footage in an episode of something. Yes, I read that. I can't remember what it was now. I can't remember what I did. It was no. that exciting. But it, it's a great crash. It's I mean, the, the comparison, although it does it down, is if you've seen that the last episode of The Young Ones, yes, you know, the, the bus the, the bus going over the cliff, yeah. it's like a proper quarry and yep. it's a proper lorry going over it. And it goes into a huge inferno. Yeah. And William Hartnell's body falls out as the dummy. Is and that yeah, his body? I think it is. It He's is. wearing a suit, I think. Oh, okay. But obviously McGowan doesn't look very happy when he goes off the cliff either, but mm. good. They, they deserve There it. is a lot of screaming by McGowan in this film and you know it's all close up on his face in the cab as part of yeah. that there's a sense of hysteria it's just a film full of hysterical men yeah. driving you know and if he's not screaming he's you know hitting the horn furious mm. but it's it's yeah if you've ever seen the behaviour of kind of mad aggressive men on the roads then yes. this is a film about them absolutely but Tom's truck because uh, he gets pr- he gets bumped into a lot by Red he manages to stop just before he goes well, off the Well, he's cliff. hanging off the edge of a cliff a it's bit. It's a bit Italian job, isn't it? It is a bit it? Italian job, which he produced as well, didn't he, and starring? Did he? Wasn't, isn't Stanley Baker in the Italian job? Isn't he no. one of the gang? Don't think so. Well, he's definitely involved Robert in the Powell making is. of it. Is he? Yeah. Okay. That's my <laughs> fact for you there. Robert Powell? Yeah. What, Jesus? Yeah. Not the actual Jesus. No. Yeah, Robert Powell's in it as a young'un. He's oh. one of the gang in the Italian job. I'm sure Stanley Baker is involved in the Italian job. Not that I know of. I need to watch it again. I've got the notes. Okay, I'm going to check the notes on you that. You check your notes. Fine. It's, it's in... <laughs> Fine. It's in the DVD notes somewhere. Anyway, I think... Oh, okay. I get confused sometimes. Um, but so, And then it ends really abruptly because he manages yeah. to pull himself out. Yeah. And all the gravel is falling off into the back. Yeah. And what's her name? Lucy has turned up in her Jeep and runs towards him across the the downs. Yes, yeah. and you're expecting some sort of prologue or, or something. And it just says the end. Yeah. A lot of old films did that. There's I think they, were, they, they knew them. people wanted to get away and go home, I think. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't know, because those films would run in cinemas on a loop, didn't they? You know, yeah. people just came and left whenever they wanted. I spoke to my mother about this film. She saw it, and it was part of a triple feature, I think. Or a double feature, what at least. Put it in with. I don't know. She couldn't remember either. But 
I think, yeah, it's, a, it's one of those films that I hadn't particularly heard of, I must say. But when I, every time I've mentioned it, people have gone, oh, it's a brilliant film, that. I mean, particularly my mum and dad, they saw it at the cinema. Well, I think, time. in a way, its reputation is growing. And so there's this film historian who's written notes for that go with the DVD. He said um, his students always wanted to write essays about Hell Drivers. Yeah. You know, it's actually a really interesting film to watch. And, you know, it's a film of its time, but it's it's filmed in this kind of slightly melodramatic way. And if now you were making a film about the subject, it would be, um, you know, it'd be a Ken Loach kind of very, very downbeat um, neo-realist film whereas this is it's a rank melodrama it's also British social realism mm. um, and that's that's a kind of, it's like a lost moment in cinema history and yes. it's, people forget rank made films like this I suspect if they made this now they'd make it an action film and there'd be some sort of drug thing going on drug ring within the company mm. but this is 1957 before people were running drugs so you didn't have that but I reckon now it'd probably be spoiled it would. Well, the other thing to think about in connection with you know Bond is you think about the super glamour that all these actors went off. So you know, Patrick McGoon goes off to do Danger Man and then eventually The Prisoner, mm. and Sean Connery goes off to become Bond. You know, within five years, yeah, four years, I suppose, by the time he's cast. And you've got Dave, um, David McCallum goes off to make The Man from Uncle, and Stanley Baker actually makes quite interesting action films, and um, and a lot of them are quite kind of glamorous. They're a kind of fantasy version, aren't they? Of mm. um, of you know, British spies. And this is a moment where they're actually making these films about sort of about real ordinary people in real ordinary jobs, but implying that there's a drama yeah. um, about them. And I, I don't know. It's a kitchen truck drama. Well, you wonder what would have happened without James Bond, don't you? To, to actors like Sean Connery. You do, yeah. What would have happened to him? I don't know. Because he was doing films anyway, wasn't he? He wasn't exactly Yeah, this isn't his first role. Fun. This is like no. his third or fourth. Was it Darby O'Gill before this or after? I don't know. Possibly before. Yeah, I think it's before. Because what's interesting in this, I noticed, is that he's fairly gangly and he's also got really thick eyebrows. They are very thick. He looks like a Thunderbird puppet. He does look like a Thunderbird puppet. I'm guessing those eyebrows got fixed when he did Bond because I don't remember him having big eyebrows. They're a little bit thinner, I'd yeah. have to watch again. But yeah, it's, it's certainly, as you say, it's, a, it's, it's so interesting in terms of where it is in history for films, for the British industry particularly. Yeah, and Stanley Baker, who is, you know, you say, you've, if you've not seen a Stanley Baker film, um, this isn't a bad one to start with. No, absolutely because not. Because he is, he is like kind of the great non-Bond. He was a very good friend of Richard Burton. And, you know, when you think of what happened to Richard Burton's career, Stanley Baker never quite had that. No. Um, he had, he became a big producer and he was a founder of Harlech TV. Oh. Um, so I think he sort of, um, in a sense, he's like a Laurence Olivier figure where, you know, he starts getting involved in the making of things. Mm. But I think he also had a bit of... Well, there's a rumour, isn't it? His Stanley Baker's widow said in an interview that he turned down Bond. That's right, yeah. Um, because he didn't because he didn't want to be tied to whatever it was, a three-picture deal. Mm. And they've never had a Welsh Bond, have they? Timothy Dalton's Welsh, oh, slightly. Okay. North Wales. Not really. He's a bit of a scouser, really. <laughs> I know, so it sounds obviously like we doesn't look Welsh. I feel with Stanley Baker, in the same way that Richard Burton, you can tell yes. that they're Welsh. And um, I think that would have been interesting. And also the, 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 the sort of, the fact that he's very physical, mm. but he's also got this gentle side. He's very intelligent. And he never quite, I, I don't, even though he's done Zulu, mm. I don't feel he ever really quite got to show his full potential. I agree. Potential. I, I mean, I've yet to watch all of his films, but the ones I have seen. Have you seen the one he did with Ursula Andress? No, what's that? Perfect Tuesday. No. It's a very odd caper film where Stanley Baker is um, like a bank worker or an insurance worker, mm. a bit like the um, Alec Guinness character in Lavender Hill Mob. Yeah. And he's plotting this perfect crime, which is stealing all this money in this elaborate bank job. And it involves renting a flat on um, Grosvenor Place and stuff. And Ursula Andrus kind of gets involved. And one of the things that's interesting, it's about 1972, mm. is everyone looks really quite skanky in it. It's quite interesting. Like The makeup isn't that good. And she's not dubbed you forget that people like her were dubbed weren't they in yes, James Bond films yeah. and she's got a terrible English speaking voice oh, it's dear. awful and it makes a huge difference to mm. actually how much you can stand listening to um, yeah. yeah you see Stanley Baker in a moustache and a bowler hat and a suit and it's a lot of it is about oh, I've seen pictures dressing up and, and a heist it's, a, yeah. it's an odd film it's one of the things that I think I stumbled across at sort of two in the morning mm. on BBC two yeah um, a curiosity it's not one of the better ones but but the other great one of course is robbery which is yes, um, a semi-documentary that. style action film a very fictionalized of the great train robbery and yeah. it's in great forensic detail mm -hmm. um, and Peter Yates's first big film That's before he right. went off to make bullet 
Yeah. So Stanley Baker's career is sort of it touches a lot of careers that went much much further, like all these directors. Um, but he's never quite, I think, been acknowledged in his own right. I've just thought, you know, the director of photography, because this film also just looks good. You know, yeah. the fights are shot well, the action sequences are good. Yeah. It's black and white, but it just this, it's a beautiful black and white film. He made Scott of the Antarctic and a town like Alice. Mm. So I think I think he had that ability to bring real melodrama, whether it's, you know, out on the ice or it's a bunch of guys in a horrible little office with a terrible toilet. <laughs> There's also another thing I noticed in this, which is a lovely touch in terms of the, the way it's photographed. Every time someone's got a candle, yeah. it's like a spotlight's put on. And when they move the candle to the left or the right, the spotlight follows them, them instead of doing a, a low lighting job. And when he's in the garage as well and he puts the light on in there, you get a spotlight. And I thought that's quite a nice trick instead of having to sort of cheat and light the room a bit. So I enjoyed that. Yeah. I think they should remake all the Ken Loach films in Hell Driver's style. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah. Just with more hysteria. More jeopardy. You know? More jeopardy. More Herbert Lom. Yeah. I, Daniel Blake, he's got a bomb tied to him and he has to get a job or it'll explode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorted. There you go. Yeah. So th- thank you for making me watch Hell Drivers, essentially, because I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I say... If you like any of those actors who went off to make all these amazing spy films, this is the film about what life was like before they all got reinvented as yes. spies. Yeah. And it was scary and the toilets were horrible. Oh, uh, before we go, uh, Patrick McGowan also was asked to be Bond as well, wasn't he? Yeah. He turned it down too. Do you know the thing that's... I, I, I keep going to Patrick McGowan and I, I find him puzzling because, you know, he didn't like violence so he didn't like the guns thing, but he's happy to punch people for mm. real. And he seems really angry all the time. And he yeah. doesn't like, he didn't like the sex stuff, did he? He was, because he's very Catholic. Mm. And it's just that weird thing where he, he actually gives, gave off this aura of being incredibly angry and aggressive, but he was turning down roles that he thought were too aggressive. Yeah. And then he was in Colombo about 400 times and he directed was, loads of them. Didn't he become a weird Disney um, sort of hero? Like, wasn't he in that darn cat? I don't know about that, but he was in Baby the Lost Dinosaur. But as a, va- a baddie? I think he was the baddie, like a poacher who was trying to kill the dinosaur. And he was in Braveheart as well, wasn't he, as the king? Oh, yeah, well, that would have been... See, that's that's your sequel to Hell Drivers, isn't it? Yeah. Probably had a dodgy accent in that, too. He probably did. Yeah, though, he is from Ireland, isn't he? Do you know the weirdest thing is? I thought, Patrick McGoohan, he must be Irish. Why is he doing such a terrible yeah. Irish accent in this film? Yeah, but he's Irish. he was born in America and then grew up in Ireland and then moved to Stoke. You know, if you saw Hell Drivers, you would understand why you would want to get the hell out of Britain and go off and become a glamorous star in Hollywood, wouldn't you? You would, wouldn't you? It's so funny, though. The cast is just full of people who did exactly that. It's really weird. It's like seeing a little base camp. It is. It's a base camp of time travellers and super spies and then carry-on actors. Yeah. And Alfie Bass was in Moonraker, of course. There's another Bond connection. Oh, what's he in Moonraker? He's in it for a second. He's in Venice when the coffin goes under the bridge. (laughs) And he looks over the bridge and does a double take and throws a cigarette in the water. <laughs> Obviously on holiday or something. There's no other there's no other James Bond references that we can milk from this. I don't think so. No. But Samira, thanks so much for coming Thank back. Thank you. I feel we've undersold this film, weirdly. I think I think, I think just right. go and watch it. Oh, definitely go and watch it, yeah. Yeah, you can't say that enough. This mm-hmm. is definitely I mean, as I say, I hadn't heard of it and now I really love this film. And I would definitely watch it again. I'm glad I bought it because I can watch it again when I want. It's got an episode of Danger Man on it as well, if you want. Has it? Well, my one has. I've got the two CD bo- two oh. DVD box set. It's oh, I bought got, the Blu-ray. And it's it's got, got the episode Loyalty Always Pays. Wow. It's got a thing called Who Killed Lamb with Stanley Baker. I think that's a TV drama. Uh-huh. It's got news footage about the plaque, the blue plaque Stanley Baker got put up. And it's got a Return to the Ronda documentary. Oh. But yeah, watch Hell Drivers, everybody. It's fantastic. I think there are homoerotic elements, too, that we haven't discussed, like in that poster. That poster? I hadn't noticed that Stanley Baker's one on the floor before. Yes. Thank you for coming back. My pleasure. Good. Bye. Bye-bye. Hurtling down the one-way street to destruction. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. 
Hello, my name is Pete Ellison. This is Dave Cribb. Hello, and we do a podcast called Friends with Friends, as you might have guessed from the music that's playing underneath, uh, which is a sort of lo-fi rendition of the Friends theme tune for rights reasons. We get a different guest on every week on our podcast to talk about their favourite episode of Friends. And we look through it in excruciating detail. We pick through levels of plots like no one has ever done before. So if you like Friends or just listening to people talking, which are both valid activities, do look us up on the old podcast app than that. Friends with friends and we're on Twitter at friendswf. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 